Welcome back to Apple Scrubs, a George Harrison-centric podcast. In today's episode, we continue our analysis of the Get Back trilogy by taking a deep dive into part two. Is George going to rejoin the band? Should he? Will John and Paul see the error of their ways and shape up? Let's see, shall we? So, today on Apple Scruffs, we are truly going back to our roots. We are getting back to where we once belonged by looking at part two of Get Back. A year later. All right. I did realize that this is like the part I watch the least often because George is not in part of it. Yeah. It's also the longest. Yeah. I, I would agree. I don't really watch this part that much. Well, that's not true. I like listening to the flower pot conversation. I think that's as far as I ever get, though. I go, hmm, yes, look at them talking about George while he's not there and having a weird conversation. Interesting. Goodbye. <laughs> and it was kind of constructive, at least, which is good. Because they were realizing that they, like, fucked up and they were like, we got to bring him back. That was initially my take on it whenever I watched it the first couple of times. But after rewatching it today... I feel like, I don't know, I feel like John is kind of using George as a device to explain his own feelings. You know, he's like, I'm not saying, you know, you know, anything about, you know, you as a person or anything, but, you know, we do tend to run George over. Because he says, like, something where he's like, because you're afraid that he won't play like you want him to play, and that's what we do, and that's what you do to me. Mm. So, like, he starts off being, like, you know, advocating for George, but then he brings it back to the two of them. And he's like, you know, you've done that on my songs and I never say no to you. I always let you include what you want, but there's been a point where we couldn't talk to you about your songs. So I feel like it's kind of like his way of being like, well, this is great. You know, this problem that just arose because I've been meaning to talk to you about this. And and this has been a bone of contention in our relationship for a very long time. yeah they literally said like a festing wound that we've allowed to grow even deeper and then this was like the climax of it where they were like we gotta change shit right now otherwise this band is gonna go absolutely nowhere and we're not gonna get any of this done like we want it to yeah yeah but i really i really do feel as though like it's like john being like yes george but also me yeah (laughs) yeah i think that is a good point i think like, especially in the beginning when Ringo and Paul are there and John isn't there yet, like, so much of the conversation is about John. And I kind of was mm-hmm. like, George is the one who just left the group. And instead yeah. they're like, do you and John still write as much anymore? Like, how do you feel about Yoko being there? And I, it just seemed way more about, like, if this band is going to continue, it's more about if you and John are going to get back on track, not if is George going to actually come back. And like, yeah, even that conversation, like when Paul's like, oh, I'm just assuming George is coming back. They think that they know him more than they do. And he's the one that's like, I think, evolving the most at that time. So he's just like, yeah, you think I'm coming back? No, you got to work for it. I think he also even says something like in that conversation, like before he says, I'm just assuming he's coming back. He also is like, Um, we have to decide if we want him to come back, you know, like he says literally that. And I'm like, boy, what do you mean? Like, he's the like, it's crazy because John really seems to be George's ally through this whole episode. And it really exposes like how much John cares for him. And I think if Paul had even expressed half the amount of like interest in George's work or like interest in working with George that John expresses throughout this episode, he would have felt way more supported and it wouldn't have been a problem. But I feel like it's great to have John's approval and everything, but like it's such a larger slight to come from Paul to George because we talked about this before, but he's the one that's known George the longest. 
And so for him to constantly be putting him down and not listening to him and making him feel less than, like, I think that's the big problem. And even in this conversation, it doesn't seem like Paul gets it. And, like, John is trying to put it to him that way, and he's still, like, I think we'll realize we've all been very silly, and when we get old, we'll sing together. You're missing the point, bro. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. That is so true. Like, I agree with both things that, like, one, I do feel like John is an ally to George in this episode, where, like, there's, like, three big moments where I feel like he stands up for George. One, in that conversation, like Skylar mentioned, he says, like, this is a wound, and, like, acknowledging we have hurt George, and we can take accountability for that, and realize, like, we have to change our ways so we don't hurt him anymore. And also, yeah, like, it bothered me so much, too, that Paul's like, well, let's even think if we want him in the band at all, like, that's insane to me. But mm-hmm. like also when they're doing For You Blue and they George starts playing and then like somebody's talking and John says like, okay, wait, start over. Like, don't talk while he's playing, gang. Yeah, I'd noticed that for the first time. Yeah, and then when they're listening back to it and they want to do it again and Paul's like, why? Why? Like, that was good. Yeah, for what? For what? <laughs> and he's like, so George can get it the way he wants. And it's like... I agree that he's definitely changing his behavior more than Paul did when George comes back. But I do also agree with that thing where it's like in that conversation where they're like, oh, you're the boss. And then I was kind of the secondary boss. It's like it's so true that they think of themselves as like this band is mostly you and me and we're kind of in charge. And like I think Ringo kind of understood that entering the group because they'd already been a band for a few years. And like I think it was a little bit easier for him to come into that and be like, okay. I don't write as much. I don't sing as much. Maybe I am kind of playing a supporting role. But, like, George, yeah, like, knowing Paul since they were kids, being at the band pretty much straight from the beginning, I don't think he was entering the group going, okay, yeah, like, I'll play backseat to John and Paul. And, like, yeah. they thought he was going to do that forever and be happy with it. And it's been 10 years. And, he's... and he finally broke. But also, like, the fact that they thought that he'd take the back seat when they're bringing him into the group because he's the most experienced guitar player out of the three of them at that point. Like, to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, but George is just, like, a secondary member of the Beatles. Like, do you forget why you brought him on that bus? Like, John and Paul have just gotten too wrapped up in each other to even care anymore. That's what makes me fret. Like, I, if I was George, I'd be pissed, too. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to leave because, like, y'all forgot who you were and who I am, you know? Yeah, they both needed George to, like, bring them back down to earth. And there's two parts in that beginning when George isn't there, when, like, one, when Paul is sitting at the piano and he's, like, playing music and he's talking about his writing process. And I'm, like, they're just falling all over him. They're, like, tell us more about how you do that. And I'm, like, oh, my God, I need George here to be, like, okay, can we shut up now? And, like... (laughs) And then when John is, like, telling jokes to, like, Peter Seller, and it's, like, he just is saying nonsense, and they're all laughing, and I'm, like, I need George there to be, like, this is not that funny. Like, they need, they needed him, because Ringo will go along with it, but, like, George will be, like, cut it out. I know who you are, because I knew you from when we were kids in Liverpool, and, like, you're not a god, okay? So. Yeah, you're John Lennon, but you're not John Lennon, you know, (laughs) to me. 
I feel like part of that joking around was also because like they knew George had gone to Liverpool and that he was going to come back and they were like, okay, so like when he comes back, like we're going to talk to him, like we're going to try to work this out and everything's going to be okay. So I feel like that anxiety was kind of like lifted a bit after they realized that. So they started like joking around a bit more because they were starting to loosen up and be like, okay, yeah, like we're going to get back, get back, huh? no pun intended, but it's like, we're going to get back to it. Everything's going to be great. But even still, it's like, okay, guys, like you, you don't know that for sure come back to earth and figure this out i feel like it was definitely like john trying to lighten the mood for sure because like you know paul had just been like super upset what's interesting is like them not really knowing what to do without him like they're like oh yeah we'll just continue the band without him but then they just sit there and play jams the whole time and like do silly things and they lack direction and i think that that's to your point katie like without george there to be like okay let's streamline this process a little bit you know uh they just were kind of like uh what do we do we don't have another guitarist to help us out so i guess we'll just be idiots (laughs) (laughs) i guess we'll just swing from the rafters like we did the first time (laughs) (laughs) at least paul stayed he physically stayed on the ground this time mentally he's up in the clouds yeah yeah god and the fact that he's like in tears over john not coming but like when george walks out he's like "Mm, okay (laughs) like okay oh it's yeah just like like paul especially when anytime we paul we do love you in general but anytime i watch get back my rage is just like you do not see the person in front of you and like what his talents are and i just love watching get back and knowing that like he george is on the precipice of like this huge creative outburst where he's gonna like find his freedom and like part of that before he gets to that he has to kind of realize like Paul is never going to see him in the way that like John was trying to maybe but like Paul will never see him as a creative equal. George was definitely already on that process because when they were talking about the India trip and like Paul was saying like oh I'm watching the footage and we weren't acting like ourselves like that did not look like us and then George was like well going on that trip part of it was because you go there to find out who your true self is and I feel like he definitely found that on that trip meanwhile the others were kind of like huh yeah which obviously we all know but it was just interesting to see him verbalize it yeah 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 that's almost an awkward moment to watch because you can kind of see them being like yeah we weren't being ourselves that was such like a bullshit trip and he's like uh guys do you regret <laughs> going like to you <laughs> It's almost like for Patty, like George is at the point too, where it's like, if you can't acknowledge how big this is going to be a part of my life, like there's always going to be that disconnect. And he was at the point where it was like, this is a huge part of who I am. And like, if you can't really recognize that, or if you're going to mock it, like we're going to have kind of a problem, you know? I think it's also kind of crazy, sorry to detract from this for a second, but like if you think about where they are in that moment, like when George goes back up until that point, when he like walks out, there had been another woman living in the house and like he was seeing somebody else during his, like in his marriage and Patty was living elsewhere. I can't really remember the details, but like the fact that he was like, I'm fed up with the Beatles and then went to collect Patty and was like, hey, the other girl's out you're back in. Do you want to go to Liverpool? I'm sad. (laughs) I think it's really also very cool and like telling about George and like how important he finds family and everything that his instinct is to go back to Liverpool when he's feeling kind of fucked up over, you know, what's going on. Because they do say afterwards the, oh, the the conversation is positive and constructive and everything. And I feel like that's because like he went home to Liverpool, had those memories and was like, you know, like, I think I can deal with this for one more album. I think 
I need to remember they're my friends at the end of it. Like, they may not be treating me like a business partner or whatever. But, you know, what it is at this point is is not a, it's like a family thing. Yeah. And he needed to calm down from the initial moment. Yeah. Because, like, when you're that enraged or that upset about anything, like, you're obviously not in the right frame of mind. So then you need time to calm down from it. And then you're like, okay, now I can really think about this and really think about what I want to say. Exactly. Where's the flower pot conversation recording between George and his mom and him being like, yeah. Mom, Paul was such a jerk to me. God. And she's like, okay, well. And she's like, oh, Georgie, it's all right. She's <laughs> like, it's not all right, Mom. I'm being bullied. Everything's going to work out. <laughs> Paul, he said that to you. I can't believe it. He's such a sweet boy. <laughs> you don't know him, Mom. Mom, you're mom. not getting the point. <laughs> You don't understand. <laughs> He's turned into such an egomaniac. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> I developed a fan theory, though, watching this time. And I feel like I know Get Back was starting to be written before George left. But I feel like watching it this time, especially like JoJo, like I know they sometimes called George like Joe. And it's like, yeah, get back to where you once belonged. I'm like, is this some sort of like call subconsciously for George to come back or like acknowledging that he's gone back to Liverpool like he's going back to where hmm. he wants belonged. I mean if John and Paul are gonna create some story based off of like oh uh, it's like you and me are lovers because I'm saying I'll never let you down and you're saying don't let me down and like I was like I know it's far-fetched heavy speculation but I'm like I wonder if George is subconsciously still there in their minds it's interesting i like that i like that idea and i feel like that possibly could be you know one of my friends was saying like um it had to do with like linda like maybe they got the idea from linda's ex-husband because like they're you know maybe they were talking about that or something in jojo and tucson and everything and i was like i really don't think that's it especially by the way that they're like putting it together like you see them put it together on camera and john doesn't even know that tucson's in arizona so there's no way they've been talking about whatever his name is, Joe. Is his name Joe? I don't even remember. The Joe, Joe Eastman. No, Joe, whatever his fucking name is. I don't remember. Irrelevant. But her ex-husband. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> he, there's one song written about him and it's Dear Boy. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I have another theory. It's not really a theory, but it's kind of an observation yeah. that I've noticed. This episode in general had me leaning a lot towards McHarrison vibes just because Paul was very visibly upset over George leaving. But I was on day 10 after it showed like, oh, like we went, they went to George's house and the conversation was positive and constructive. And then it almost immediately goes to Paul singing, oh, darling, like doing the demo versions. And so it's, oh, darling, please believe me. I'd never do you no harm. And I'm like, is he singing to John there? Is he singing to George? It's very clearly he's probably singing to George in that moment. Because he's starting to make his way back. That's the first time I've ever heard that take and snatching it. <laughs> Yoink. Because Big McHarrison Stan over here. Have you guys been reading Elle's yes. fan fiction? <laughs> no. Yes. Oh! I'm trying to catch up with it. I'm way behind. But like they were in Miami or something and they just started having like a physical relationship. And now it's kind of like, and I said, ah! <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Speaking of fan theories, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about at all, right? It's nothing to do with George. Sorry, Apple Scruffs. This is an intermission. intermission. <laughs> End, End of, of part, part one. one. Not that there was any debate that Paul is Paul, but <laughs> when they have the close-up of him, like, singing... Woman, 
whatever, and he's playing on the piano. You can see the deformity in his lip from his accident that supposedly killed him. So uh, explain that, Paul is dead, truthers. Yeah. In 1969, how does he have a scar on his lip still from the accident that supposedly killed him if he's a completely different man? Prove it. Prove it. Prove it now. End of intermission. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I also am such a Mick Harrison person. And like, because part of like the, the what's interesting about it is like, again, like there is love there, but there's also like this toxicity where like, especially from Paul to George, where it's like, you know, I love you. And like, but he just takes it yep. for granted that George knows that. While John, he's like, I need you to know. And like, mm -hmm. I need to be close to you. But that that kind of leads into, we've kind of hinted a little bit at like Yoko and Linda in this episode, any observations related to some of the Beatles' women? Since it is still Women's History Month. That is true. I mean, obviously Yoko's like on the side kind of doing her own thing. And then even Linda, I liked her feedback in the beginning on that first day when they were all kind of like talking about it, how Linda's saying like, yeah, like we want to see this. We want to see this all work out and everything. Like she was being pretty positive about everything. And even while she was bringing up Yoko's role in the whole situation, she wasn't saying anything negative and I respect her for that. Yeah. And MLH made me so mad when he's like, I'm an even bigger fan than you are. I was like, shut up. Don't talk to Linda. She's like, oh, really? Do you want to fight about that? <laughs> like, get him. Get him, girl. That's the fight we need to see. Yeah. MLH versus Linda McCartney. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so annoying the entire time. No, and then even him still talking about like, oh, so yeah, the live show. Yeah. What are what are we going to do about that, guys? And it's like, shut the fuck up. George is missing. Yeah. Yeah, we're putting things on pause right now. Hello? He's just as big of an airhead as Paul. Sorry, MLH, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Please ignore me. We love two of us. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> two of us was great. Yeah, oh my god, no. I watched that a month ago for the first time, and that was the best masterpiece I've ever seen in my life. I think somebody put it on Twitter, so I'm just echoing their thoughts, but like the fact that he watched them for a month and then was like, I'm gonna put in this scene, they make out in the elevator, that... That's sus. But then also the fact that Paul McCartney has nothing bad to say about that movie is also very, very sus. But yeah, speaking of the TV special. And that is the theory we will be tackling in a future <laughs> episode. In the next episode, the McLennan episode of Apple Scrubs. I'm penciling that in right now. George is like, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> He's like, this is my podcast. <laughs> I did not know. I've heard of that movie. I did not know that scene happens, one. And two, I did not know that MLH was involved in making it. So now I'm very intrigued. He directed it. He directed it, yeah. Wow, okay. I'm intrigued. I'll send you the link. Thank you. <laughs> we'll put the link in the description of this episode if anyone hasn't seen it. Yeah, it's so silly. But also the actors that they get to play them are terrible. I feel like that's just not... I just don't like, I don't the know. The spirit's there, though. The spirit's there and everything. I think the tough thing with Beatles films is you can either get somebody who looks exactly like the boy or you can get somebody that captures the essence of the boy. It's very hard to get both. Mm. And so, like, I appreciate them doing the one bit where they get the essence of the men. But, like, you know, I don't know. You could have searched far and wide for somebody who could do a really good Beatles impression and also was an actor and also looked like them. <laughs> I don't know any names on the top of my head, but I don't know. If it was my movie, 
<laughs> he went in with five dollars and a dream, and that's all you need in the Beatles world to make some good <laughs> art. Thank you and good nights. <sighs> but yes, going back to what we were talking about, the TV special in general, Michael Lindsay Hogg being like, rah, 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 the special. I think it's fun that afterwards, like, they have the conversation at George's house, and he's like, hey, I'm not doing the TV special, guys. We don't have time. We don't have time to do it. They're just like, okay, scrap it. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, George. Just come back. (laughs) If you're coming back, we won't do it. I promise. Yeah. The stress of being involved in this project must have been insane on all levels. Like, I'm stressed just watching it. Yeah. Paul's walking out the door and they're like, are we meeting tomorrow? I'm like, you guys don't know the plan by now. Like, Glenn is leaving in a few days and like, you guys had like a bitch fit for a week. So he was just like, he's like, I still have to leave soon. Like, even while they're still at Twickenham and then they're moving in like the set for the Magic Christian. And it's like, yeah, there's no pressure there at all. Yeah. They're just like being closed in. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. George probably thought he was going to get away with it too. He's like, we're running out of time. Guess... We can't do anything, you guys. Oh, oh darn man. it. They're like, what if we just do an album? He's like, Ugh. <laughs> He's like, God damn it. Ugh. Fine. <sighs> but don't put me on telly. He's like, I'm not rehearsing. It's like, oh, just joke's on you. We're going to put you on the roof instead. I don't want to go on the roof. I love at the end when they're talking about blowing up the film and he's like, well, they'll take it and they're fucking fools if they don't. He's like, (laughs) they're going to take it. We're the Beatles. Who cares? I appreciate that he's the one who goes with Glenn to check out the sound equipment. That's my thing about George the entire thing is that he cares about the important stuff. Like, they need him for that. Like, he's the one who keeps them on track when they're being goofy. Like, in the first episode, he's like, hey, shouldn't we maybe get better sound equipment? And then he's the one who goes and sees, like, Magic Alex is a sham and sucks at his job. And he's like, okay, so how are we going to fix this? And then George Martin is like, I got you, bro. It's just like the Beatles world runs on George's. That's all I have to say. Case closed. Exactly. And another huge contribution he makes in this episode, bringing Billy in. Yep. Saying like, okay, we need somebody else. I do love the casualty, though, that he mentions like, yeah, I asked Bob if he wanted to be in the Beatles it's like, what? You asked someone if they wanted to <laughs> He wasn't saying like, oh, I'm thinking of asking. He's like, no, I asked Dylan if it was going to be the Beatles and company. <laughs> he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Like, I feel like there was a point maybe like after they stopped touring or maybe after this last album, he's like, fuck it. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. Say what you want. You're not going to kick I me out of the I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like it was good that George had another friend in there in the studio that wasn't a Beatle because obviously like they were starting to joke about everything, which is a whole nother thing in general. The fact that they were joking about it so quickly after all that shit went down, but obviously things were still a little tense. So I think George having Billy there, like as his friend is someone else to kind of talk to kind of helped relieve any kind of anxiety he was feeling and helped him ease back into the process more. So we stand Billy for that one. Yeah. Even like Yoko and Linda, I feel like is kind of somewhat because like for Yoko, I feel like like we've talked about how way too many people go after Yoko for like the end of the Beatles. But like, I feel like John was more like, no, you should come to all these rehearsals and like him being like, no, she's going to be there and like she's going to be at all of our meetings and like you're going to deal with it. Almost like you mentioned how he was maybe using George as like a way to get his own point across. I feel like he sometimes used Yoko for that same thing. Like, oh, you don't like her being everything? Well, too bad. She's going to be there, you know? And like, 
I do feel like as a band, you know, that can be a delicate balance of like, is it just the four of us? When do we bring other people in? We're all growing up. We have like spouses and children now, but like it could have been to a point where it's like, yeah, Yoko is there. Maybe she's even contributing because she is musically trained or maybe not. Okay. But like, you know, Linda gets to take photos. She gets to use her skill in some way, you know, like Billy also being, again, like that match with George and George having somebody who's like, this is somebody I brought in. So it's an interesting thing to think about, like, if the Beatles had gone on longer, what would that have looked like? When do we bring people in? When don't we? How do we kind of walk that balance? There would be a whole nother debate in general. And who knows how long it would have lasted, honestly. If they were already butting heads as it was, then I can't imagine it would have gotten much further. Well, and I think that Paul kind of touches on that exact topic whenever he's like, we're having just enough trouble with the four of us, you know? How many more people are we going to bring in this damn band? It's too much already. Yeah, that's true. It's funny because, like, I do feel like George and John have moments in this episode where they're just kind of like, yeah, let's do it. And then Paul's like, wait, uh, I don't know if, like... Like, they're like, yeah, let's just bring other people in the group. And yeah, let's make get back a single and let's just release it tomorrow. Like, let's just do it. You know, and Paul's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it's like, loosen up, boy. Loosen up, boy. You're not the girl boss anymore. We got everybody else in the studio here, too. I love boy, speaking of. Just that Paul calls everybody boy. <laughs> if this boy dies, you're going to cop it. I never noticed that. And whatever else. He, he said something about, he calls John boy in this, too, but I can't remember what he said. I'll just play as I go along. Yeah, exactly. It's it's during that conversation and he says something, yeah. There's my John impression <laughs> of the night. But um, there it went. I also love that George, maybe I, I think I brought this up in the previous episode too, but the fact that like when Billy comes along, he's like, a taste of honey, because he remembers what he used to play and everybody else is just like, ha okay, Billy, la la la. And George is like, yeah, but... Do we get that? Did, did y'all get that reference? <laughs> no, I mean, then definitely they did. Because then, like, as the episode goes on, they were saying, like, oh, yeah, do you remember those shows? Remember all this? Yeah. I've heard other podcasts talk about how, like, for us, the Beatles timeline can just feel, like, confusing. But, like, for them, Hamburg is not that long ago. Or mm-hmm. touring is, like, just a few years yeah. ago. And, like, for us, it feels like a whole other lifetime. Because so much happened at one period. Yeah. Yeah. And even them mentioning like Martin Luther King, I'm like, for them, that's like recent history, you know? And like, it really reminds you. Yeah. Like two days ago. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, that was happening. Like you forget what's going on outside of the studio that they're in. And then you're realizing, oh my God, the world is happening. Yeah. There's so much factoring into it that we don't know about that could have been influencing their decisions or what they were saying to each other. I think that's why the way that Get Back started went so poorly when when people found out about it in present day. That's why it was like, oh, they're singing about Puerto Ricans and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, they were singing a protest song. And if you took a second to, like, look into any of the politics that were going on in that time period, you would know why they're singing about, you know, refugees and stuff like that. And they're not coming at it from, like, a, you know, xenophobic angle. They're trying to be anti-xenophobic. So you guys are... uh, It's just frustrating because, like, I feel like it's really easy to digest the Beatles in a modern context. And we forget about, like where they came from in the time period that they were in. Like, it's the same thing as, like, when people say, like, oh, they didn't contribute that much. I mean, do you realize that modern music is the way that it is because they did that? Like, there wouldn't be a Harry Styles without the Beatles. There wouldn't be a One Direction without the Beatles. Like, you know, there wouldn't be an NSYNC or a Backstreet Boys without the Beatles. Yeah. So calm down. (laughs) Just take a second and read a book. I don't know. (laughs) Take a second and read a book. Touch some grass. Touch some grass. (laughs) Yeah, it is funny. Like, I do love watching stuff 
like this and being like, wow, these are like the Beatles. Like these are like some of the greatest musical minds of our time. And yet like, especially in their rehearsals and like the quick cuts to them just fucking around. And it's like, it's just so funny that even like some of the best musicians in the world are just like messing around sometimes. Like then it goes. when I find myself in times of trouble, you know, it's, I just love that. And it's so great to this episode start to see again, like that friendship coming back and, and you know, this is not going to last forever. They still have issues that are maybe irreconcilable or like did turn out to be irreconcilable but it's like it's still sweet to remember like Paul and Ringo said too watching this like oh we still loved each other and there was still like friendship and and laughter and just especially from like John too like I feel like in that first episode he's just so dead and then like he kind of comes to life a little bit more in the second one and it's nice to see that definitely I think they remembered after George left, they were like, oh, we're a family and we're friends and we should stop being bitches. And this is temporary. Yeah. Any one of us could at any time just be like... Dip. Like, John is already starting to do solo stuff. And, like, I do love in the third episode, I think John and George mentioned the idea of, like, oh, we could all just be solo artists and still be the Beatles. That could have possibly happened, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about this as I was walking home. I think maybe, like, they had all realized that they'd outgrown the Beatles, but were totally fine, like, still being Beatles because they loved each other and because they, you know, wanted to work with each other. I think Paul wasn't ready to admit that he had outgrown the Beatles. I think everybody else was, and he was like, no, none of us have. We've not. We're not. Okay? Yeah. Everybody is still in the Beatles, and we're going to do it the way that we have always done it. I think he just didn't want to evolve. And because of that, his inflexibility and a lot of other things, it just kind of fell apart. George felt trapped because of it. Yeah. That one conversation, he's like, we can keep being Beatles or whatever. And then like for Paul, I think like recently he had said like, I wish I had known that they had said that. If you'd asked, maybe you would have, you know, if you spoke up. Or if you took an interest and like encouraged them to, because yeah, I feel like he was kind of wanting to keep them like, we are the Beatles, like, let's stay here. And he was scared of them splintering off, which ironically led to them. Like, if he had been like, yeah, George, like, you should do an album and, like, I'll support you in that. And, like, I'll be a part of it if you want me to and I'll listen to you. I'll let you take direction. Like, ironically, by not kind of encouraging that, that kind of led to people like George or John being like, well, if this is all you're going to, like, let us do, then... yeah. I'd rather just be on my own. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. When you're scared, you get into that, like, messed up mindset. You start thinking and doing things you wouldn't normally do. And then that's obviously going to piss off everyone around you. Like, what happened with the band? And then it led to the split up. And then Paul's depression, unfortunately. And then, yeah. And then I, I feel I feel bad because, like, you know, the media and everybody were like, it's Paul's fault because he's the first one who spoke. And, like... Yeah, kind of. And that's only going to make him feel worse. Yeah, but, like, also, like, you know, take accountability for it. But I think they were, like, trying to make him shoulder all of it, and it just wasn't entirely Paul's fault. It's just, like, very much incited by Paul and his inflexibility and, like, his fear of, like, what you know, the unknown and whatnot. And speaking of fear of the unknown and everything, I had a really interesting... I had a lot of thoughts. Um, The bow tie moment, right? When he's like, hey, can you get me a bow tie? Like, there's so many moments where he's like, yeah, and so-and-so, can you do this for me? You know? It's kind of like, I recently, not to bring Motley Crue into this, but I recently read Tommy's book, Tommy Land, uh, Tommy Lee, for those at home. He talks a lot about, like, he's the youngest member of that band. They got really famous right off the bat. And it's really, like, a similar story with George. Like, of course he's going to be 
the way that he is in the episode because, like, the Beatles have been his life up until this point. So, like, he's got that little boy complex, right? Where he's like, everything should come to me because that's how it's always been, blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, on the opposite side of that, like, the Beatles have been his entire life. So the courage that it took to jump off and be like, okay, I'm gonna leave this band. I'll come back, whatever. But like, I'm ready to do something for me and I wanna do something myself. Like the courage that it took to create All Things Must Pass. When you're in a band like the Beatles and you break off from a band like the Beatles and that's all you've known is like incredible. Like the the fact that it only took him touring with the band and like not being a part of the Beatles to realize like, oh, I can sustain myself. I can do this by myself. Just really is a testament to how brave of a soul he is. And like everybody wants to say that he's like not, you know, confident and everything. But like that took a lot of confidence. And even too, like that's not in this episode, but like all things must pass how easily that song is dismissed. Again, they are scrambling for content. Yeah. And they know George has it. And yet they're still like, John, did you write anything else? Like, Paul, do you got anything else? And it's like, for people who like musical ability and like taste, he probably respected, like for them to go to All Things Must Pass, like, uh, we're not going to put that on the album. Like, I'm sure in his mind, he probably was like, well, maybe this isn't great. And maybe this isn't everyone's cup of tea. But like, really, you know, if I could go back in time, like, I wish I could tell George, like, Mm -hmm. you need the Beatles the least of everybody in this group. I think watching that episode, too, like, especially Let It Be is not, you know, John and Paul's best work, in my opinion, but, like, this is maybe controversial. I don't think either one of them is great at lyrics. I think they're both pretty good at melody, but John is maybe better at lyrics than Paul. But George, I think, has a fantastic sense for melody, and he's a great lyricist, and, like, he doesn't need a Lennon or a McCartney. He's Harrison, and that's enough, and all of that is coming from him. And I wish he could kind of see that today. Or even just, like, some of the best parts of the Lennon-McCartney songs that are on Let It Be are George's guitar parts, yeah. you know? Like, the two of us, like, boom, boom, ba-da, 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 or, you know, just so many moments like that where it's like, I wish you saw, or maybe he's starting to sense, like, you have this amazing thing, and none of, no one in the group is letting you know that, yeah. but you are going to be just fine because you are a team of one. Yeah. And John and Paul, they need each other. That's the thing is, like, because they squeeze him out they accidentally created like this incredible incredibly talented man and and then they had to eat it afterwards whenever he went to number one and they didn't (laughs) it's like george saying like yeah i'll come back but also during this period i've realized that i don't need you guys yeah 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 like he probably knew it already beforehand but then that was just that hit moment where he was like you know what i know that i can do my own thing and i'm gonna be a little bit more assertive coming back now girl boss george was starting to evolve yeah it would be interesting to watch the third one and see if he maybe is even a little more like owning himself because even in this one like he has those little moments of starting to be assertive but like he's still also listening a lot to john and paul and trying to understand what they want you know but I like that idea, too, that his fashion is almost like a little bit of that sign, too, of showing himself like his crazy boots or the bow tie or like in the next episode, like that gorgeous pink suit. Oh, like when he comes back in this episode in that big like black coat, I'm just like that runway walk. Oh, cheers through the house. Whenever he comes back, it's like, yay. <laughs> I saw on Twitter, like, last week, a lot of people were talking about, like, how cunty, like, (laughs) that look and that strut is. And I'm like, yes! It very much is. (laughs) Oh, my God. His facial expression as he, like, glances at the camera. Because he knows. He knows everybody's watching. This is the moment. And he ate. He ate. He knows what he's doing. He ate, truly. He knew. And he ate. Ate and left no crumbs. He left no crumbs. 
<laughs> he was like, I'm going to be the diva oh. because I'm allowed. And with that hat and that bow tie, like, oh, that last look, I just love him in. so Or like the second to last look. I love that outfit on him so much. I'm like, oh, he is so fine. Yeah. But not to, okay, so not to bitch, but like the fact that he dresses the way that he does and then to be like, Oh, I wish David Bowie would figure out what gender he is first. Before. Like, you're you're a bitch. You're a bitch for that. How did you turn into a conservative in, like, five years? Get out of here. Like, look at yourself in the 60s. <laughs> yes. With the way he sometimes treated his partners with, like, cheating and, like, yeah, the things he would later say about people who were doing the same shit he was doing, those are those are some low George moments. We can, we can acknowledge that. <laughs> low George moments, yeah. I love that. No, definitely. I mean, he's a Pisces, you know? There's two fish for a reason. <laughs> he said, you guys are dressing crazy. It's like, did you see those fucking boots? <laughs> oh, didn't I also see that someone say that Paul gave those to George? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. I think it's in the book, the Get Back book. I'm pretty sure. He's like, man, I really would like to get these boots. And then Paul's like, gets a hold of them and is like, here's the boots, you know? Oh, I got to go back and read that now. I'm going to do my research after this. Oh, no, I think he already has them, and then he gives them to him. Okay. Because George is like, ah, la, la. I feel like he shows his love through actions when everybody else around him is asking him to do it through words. Like, that's all they need is, like, some words of affirmation. And Paul is like, but he's literally Nick from New Girl. Gave you cookie, got you cookie. <laughs> Gave you cookie, got you cookie. Gave you boots, got you boots. A lot of people don't know that that's actually Paul McCartney in that episode. <laughs> That's Paul McCartney in Get Back is Nick Miller in the fucking cookie episode. Speaking of words of affirmation, I want to talk about George Martin, who kept observing how, like, when they got to Apple and he kept saying, like, oh, yeah, you guys are, like, you're hearing one another, you're seeing one another, like, you're playing together and everything's great. And I feel like in that moment, he was becoming Brian. And this is why I have George as my second option for the fifth Beatle. He was daddy. Because Brian was that initial daddy figure who was kind of pumping them up with those words of affirmation and then he dies and then in this moment here you see George kind of stepping in to be that person who's saying you guys are doing a good job like you're evolving you're getting somewhere everything's great and I loved him for that yeah like because Paul was like trying to be that but it's like no 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 McBeardy should not be daddy you should be yeah no. you should be one of the brothers just like the rest of them so that the rest of them don't all go like uh Paul keeps like dragging her ass they needed like yeah this other figure they needed like a boss boss that wasn't the band yeah a boss boss not the boss baby just boss boss final boss <laughs> big boss bowser not girl boss daddy george martin <laughs> uh, god that man daddy george i'm just thinking of that photo with the girl who's like pulling his tie or oh! something like <laughs> I'm sorry, man. He could, like, this is a George-centric podcast, and George Martin's name is George. So, so, so by association. <laughs> let's, let's have some love for George Martin, because I think we're all collectively thirsty for that man. Maybe I'm overstepping, but I would like to think that. We'll do a whole episode on him in general. April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. <laughs> April Fool's Day, not George Harrison and George Martin. Same name, but we tricked you. Quick. <laughs> Let's record another episode in five seconds <laughs> right now. Someone write that down. I feel like, too, George Martin was, like, also really pleased to be a part of this project because I think originally he maybe wasn't going to be. Like, if they were just going to be at Twickenham and, like, now that they were coming back to EMI and they were coming back to Apple, like, there's that one point where he's like, yeah, produced by Apple, engineered by Apple, like... 
he has this kind of pride that he's kind of back in the project and like that they still value him and he's still on the team you know like yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you guys know about this but like because I read George's book last year and this is going to be approximate knowledge basically but like at this point like he had already split off from EMI and was doing his own thing and I think there was a point definitely not before Pepper but like I know that him and Jeff Emmerich wanted to walk out of the White Album sessions and I feel like he kind of felt like they were outgrowing him I know for a fact because he says it in the book he's like you know they didn't treat me like yes sir Mr. George Martin sir yes sir you know like it was very much like oh we're equals now so the fact that they were like yeah George please be our savior must have meant the world to him yeah like Billy and George like they really they needed those people on this oh yeah because it was just otherwise and they delivered yeah I love seeing Paul's face when like Billy starts playing on I've got a feeling and he's like oh my god (laughs) this man's a genius this is crazy and George is like he's like yeah Don told you I'm right about a lot of things Paul maybe you should about that I love that bit in the flower pot conversation when John's like, you were right about a lot of stuff, but you were also wrong about a lot of stuff. Like, he needed to hear that. He needed to hear that. Paul was like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to you if it's coming out of your mouth. Yeah. If George had said that to him, he'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't know. if you, I, Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really agree with that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but John, you think so? Uh-huh. Okay. So true. I also love the moment in this episode where George says, give me a sec. And like, John's like, do you mean second? And he's like, Sec. <laughs> it's the cool lingo. <laughs> I'm him. Give me a sec. He is the baby. He's the one that's down with the younger kids. Yeah. He's Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'd be a perfect fit for the podcast, wouldn't he? I do feel like if the Beatles were around today, George would have been the most popular member. I feel like I get why Paul was in the 60s, but nowadays, like, that's why I want more people to know about George, because I feel like, because you hear so much about Paul and John forever and ever, but it's like, if you know about George, it's like, I mentioned that on one of our past episodes, like, watching this episode, the beginning is, like, what the Beatles used to feel like to me, where I'm like, yeah, it's fine, like, Paul, John, Ringo, cool. But then when George walks in, I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm here for. I was so excited like when they were like doing this project and they were like oh we're gonna release eight hours of footage of the Beatles and I realized that the argument was on there and like it was gonna be really like George heavy I was like yes people are gonna know they're gonna see him (laughs) it's valid for your favorite Beatle to be Paul and it's valid for your favorite Beatle to be John but I feel like some people never move past that and they don't like try to I'm not saying everybody like I'm just saying like I feel like some people don't bother to learn about the other two Like, I definitely am guilty of not really bothering to learn about Ringo, but that's because I have so much time to learn about Ringo. He's still alive. I just feel like if you really get to know the Beatles, you love all of them. And, like, I don't know. George should probably be everybody's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Me sitting over here guilty as all hell. (laughs) Well, we know you've done the John era permanently. We know you know a lot. That's what I'm saying. Don't feel guilty if your favorite Beatle is any of the other ones. But I feel like some people just don't bother to get to know anybody besides John and Paul. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's been a good test for me. Like, people who have seen this, like, some people will be like, you know, I think Paul really, like, stepped up and was, like, the leader they needed. And I'm like, interesting. And then other people are like, he was such a bitch. And I'm like, yes, thank you. That's correct. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody who says Paul is a bitch, that's the correct opinion to walk away from, get back with. Like, he can be a bitch with feelings and be, you know, validated and, like, having his own emotional reactions, but he's still a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. 
in the beginning when they're talking about like what kind of documentary do we have right now and like what does this really look like and they were saying they're like well if we tell it like it is it's gonna be good but if we don't like it's gonna be bad and I think that's a really interesting like comparison between let it be and get back where get it back is telling it like it was and it is good to watch because you're seeing this full story and like and all its messiness and complexities, while Let It Be is more like they didn't include George leaving and they don't really want to air their dirty laundry, so it's not really as good. And so I just thought it was interesting. And with the whole Yoko sitting on an amp, like there's so many little moments and and someday we'll grow old and like sing together and it's like that wasn't really going to be true, maybe other than like the anthologies songs that they did, but little moments picking towards the future, it's like spooky and it's good for the generation now to like know every single little detail about the Beatles career that's what I love is that you don't want to sugarcoat any part of their story and then with get back especially you get to see the difference between that and let it be and you can see oh my gosh like this is them real and candid and these are the Beatles that we want to see because that's going to help us evolve in terms of our knowledge about them yeah yeah people want to know about them but like them you know like I feel like a lot of the older generation of Beatles fans get locked up in the fact that like they were gods at that point in their in their life and like we I feel like have the privilege to be able to step back and be like they're also people too and we can understand they're human beings at the end of the day yeah and yeah they're flawed like the Beatles are a really good practice for that for being like they have done bad things you know and like if you grew up with that and you are like they are gods it's like well, no, like they are flawed and you can recognize that and acknowledge that alongside really loving them and being a fan. And so, yeah, it doesn't have to be either or it can be both. Like they're not mutually exclusive. We got to shine some light on those two special ladies outside Apple Studios. The Apple Scrubs! That were featured in this episode. Yes. Hello. I think that's a great example of how like the narrative that the media shares is different than like how most fans actually felt like the whole Yoko thing. They're like, well, it's his choice and it's not really our business. And then they're like, what do you feel if the Beatles break up? They're like, well, you know, it'd be sad, but I'm really just here for Paul. So like, I don't mind. It's a really good like real life examples of, you know, not every fan was like burning pictures of Yoko and hating her. Like there was a lot more like hate on Linda even too than, you know, Yoko at the moment. So it's interesting how like the real life fan experience can be different from like the overall narrative that gets told, you know? And I think that's, that's always interesting. I liked having that fan perspective because it's something different. Like you see all of what's going on in the studio and then you see these two fans and obviously many other fans out there who have absolutely no idea what's happening. They only know what they're seeing in the news or what they're hearing from other people. So then it's interesting to see that perspective and them giving their thoughts and you're like, oh my gosh, you have no idea what's going on in there. Like I'm seeing it. I'm the same age as you roughly. I get to see it and you're not seeing it. It's just such a weird perspective, but in the best way. I do want to do a book review of the Apple Scrubs book. I can send you like pictures of it to read because I'm like, it's so interesting because it's also like there is some debate about how true some parts of it are. And I would just love to hear your guys' thoughts and be like, I totally believe that happened. I don't believe there's any way that happened. But again, like that first count fan experience. Yeah, no, definitely. We'll review it on an episode. If any of you out there are intrigued. Let's have a book club, guys, and we'll just read that book and it'll be great. Exactly. Especially since she did have like a George focus. Like it's it's a perfect one. Yeah. Oh, guys, books in general. They're good. <laughs> they're good, man. I don't know if you heard about books, guys, but they're cool. You get a lot of information. There's this thing and it's like words on paper <laughs> and you just read them. 
and it tells a story. <laughs> and you learn a lot. And you learn. Wow. Like, you can, you can learn. And you immerse or, yourself into a whole other world. Or you can just trip out the whole time. Like, you're just hallucinating, like, some story that somebody, you're just reading off of dead trees. I'm sorry. You laugh <laughs> a little. You cry a little. <laughs> if it really affects you, you know? And it's just words. It's a song without music or rhymes. It surprised me how much they all cared about that, like, newspaper article. Yeah. Because, like, in my mind, like, if you're on People magazine, like, I don't imagine celebrities being like, oh, God, I got to read that. Like, what does it say? Especially when you've been famous for, like, 10 years. But it was so interesting how all of them were like, what does it say? And and then making fun of it at the same time. Yeah. They were like, yeah, you don't know shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially Paul, though, I feel like it almost, like, confirmed his fears of them, like, splitting up. And I feel like he was kind of, like, spooked by it. And, like, even when he starts reading it, I feel like they're all kind of tired of it. And they're like, you're going to read the whole article out loud. Like, that's what I was just about to say. I feel like he was the most into it. They're like, okay, we get it. But also, they read it the next day, too. And it's like, oh, George has agreed to pay so and so. So 250 pounds or whatever. And George is like, it's amazing that it goes on and you don't even have to participate in it. Like, it's incredible. And then that's all. Like, I feel like he didn't care at all. And Paul was just like, let's read this article. Like, I feel like maybe it was something that they used to do, like at the inception of their band or as they started getting popular or whatever. And like, Paul is like, yeah, let's do that. And everybody's like, okay. Uh, all right. It's Paul like, yeah, remember how we used to be? We're going to be like this forever, aren't we? Aren't we? John? <laughs> John? John? Hello? Right? <laughs> Especially with it ending as, like, the Beatles will never be exactly like they were. Poignant. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah. for him, he was like, what? What? It's like, what are you talking about? I feel like all the other Beatles were fine with that. They're like, yeah, it's not going to be like it was, but it can still... As it was. <laughs> they could still evolve and like be something different. I heard that. <laughs> the Harry portion of our podcast. <laughs> there was to mention Harry again. There was like mm. there's also this <laughs> there's this Harry style song called Matilda, and it's about like you don't have to be sorry for leaving and growing up, and like I love you that could song. throw a party full of everyone you know because they never showed you love. And I was like. This could be a George song because they, he wasn't appreciated. And they mentioned tea and toast, which is all they fucking ate in this episode. So very Beatles coded song. Also, George being mother being like, hey, tea and sandwiches, fellas. Come get come get your food, boys. Paul, do you want some sandwiches? Paul, do you want some sandwiches? And then getting them all drunk at the end of the episode. He's like... <laughs> Drink some more. That wine looked disgusting, though. It was, like, brown. I was like, what is that? My favorite is that they talk about it like they're five years old. They're like, white wine, please. <laughs> Red wine. Like, it, no, no. Chardonnay. <laughs> Pinot Noir. You know, none of that. Just white wine. <laughs> yeah, like, doesn't Paul even say, like, when Michael is like, oh, I have a film about, like, nose pickers and something, and he's like, oh, well, we're a little uncouth. Like, we're not very elite. Like, George is eating cauliflower with cheese for lunch. <laughs> like, you know, it's like... <laughs> he's like, yeah, can I get some vegetable? Hey, hey, it ain't going down easy unless it's cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys, do you guys know that lady on TikTok? <laughs> oh, my God. I have not heard that before, but I love it now. I wish I knew the somebody. I hope somebody else knows what I'm talking about. But she's one of those commentary people who like the video of somebody cooking is going on in the background. And she's always like, wow, everybody's so creative. Doesn't that look like something you've never seen before? 
just stressed because people are bad at cooking. Um, but it's so great. Anyway. We'll leave a link to two of us and that person's channel in the... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will mention I watched part of this with my sister and it was so... She, like, kind of knows about the Beatles but not much. So it was really funny to hear, like, her commentary. And, like, one thing she said that I thought was funny where she said, George, what was it like to carry the entire Beatles on your shoulders? <laughs> true though she's not wrong literally he he really did oh our man uh shout out to john and the rolling stones every five seconds of this episode the bony rolls the bony rolls and now your host for this evening the rolling stones (laughs) we're bloody stars you know i do love that moment bloody stars you know don't interrupt son Or like, what are we calling this, Paul? Shit. Shit. Shit back. Shit. Take one. <laughs> Shit back. It's so good. Ah, watching it, you know, because I've been in David Bowie land for the last three months, four months. It's always nice to come back to the Beatles because they are home, you know. It's a, it's a nice little, you smell of chips and home. It's nice. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, with me and, like, Harry Land sometimes, too, like, this podcast is good for me. Like, okay, back to Beatles Land for a second, and, you know, I hope for all our listeners, too. To Pepper Land. <laughs> I'm the only one that's still stuck here, apparently, for the rest of my life. <laughs> if you're a fan, like, everybody's gonna have, like, other little worlds. We all have sold our souls to the Beatles, yes. <laughs> they all live in our minds rent-free forever. Anytime anybody comes to the coffee shop and I'm like, what's your name? And they're like, Maria. I go, Aqua Maria. How come you fuck up everything that you do? Not to them, obviously, because I'd get fired. But, you know, it's still there. It'll never go away. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they think I'm singing the West Side Story. And I'm like, no, what you, what you, what you don't know is I'm singing a very <laughs> silly Paul McCartney thing. One of my favorites, too, is always the, like, nothing's gonna change my world. I wish it fucking would. (laughs) (sighs) Funny little guys, they are. They're silly. And I love that they're always making references to themselves. And it would be cringe if they weren't the Beatles. But But they get away with it. They get away with it because they're the Beatles. They're like, we know it's iconic. Even, like, later in their solo careers when they would sometimes reference the Beatles and stuff like that. We'll have to talk about that in a future episode, but, like, I love how George had this period of, like, I hate the Beatles. And then, like, kind of around Cloud Nine and stuff, he's like, you know what? Like, that was pretty cool, like, that we were the Beatles, but, like... He's like, remember that band? That was fun. When we was fab. No, but then also, whenever he's, like, doing media press release or whatever for Cloud Nine, he's like, oh, yeah, my new album's better than that anything the Beatles have ever done. (laughs) But you know he's taking the piss because he's got this stupid-ass smile on his face. Like, he knows. He understands. You just have to grow apart from it. (laughs) And he knows that people are going to be like, well, George, did you hear that George Harrison said that his stuff was there? He's like, okay. He's just at home laughing, eating the chips. Then he's like, don't quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Off the record. Off the record, it's better than anything, but it's not. (laughs) Oh, well, in conclusion, George is the best and he was the best and he was just about to spread his little wings and fly. Oh, his little wings. (laughs) His little wings. Oh, Jesus. Wings collab. (laughs) (laughs) They finally collabed. I think that would be his hell. It's not my idea of fun. This is silly, but when I used to write, like, we all know I roleplay, but when I used to write as George, we had this Paul and had a little AU where, like, Mick Harrison just kept happening. 
And I was like, hmm, I wonder what a, like, a Wings with George as the guitarist would have looked like. But I think that it's just they couldn't work together musically anymore. Like, they could be besties and everything, but, like, they just shouldn't have been in a business relationship any longer. Yeah, and George even said that. Where he's like, musically, I don't think I could, like, work with Paul anymore. But, like, I feel like if it did ever happen, it would have to be Paul on a George record. Like, all those years ago, almost, you know? Can I say, though, that was something in one of our storylines, the same person that I'm talking about here. Let me set the scene. It's an alternate universe where, like, George is having a hard time during Dark Horse and, like, right before he does Dark Horse. And Paul, like, comes and sees him, and then they start living together. It's really great. Whatever. And so George is like, I think it should be on my new album. And Paul was like, "Mm, I think that it should just be you. I think that it should be your thing, you know? And and you deserve that, and you should do that on your own. I thought that was really mature of my partner's Paul to do that. But, like, I think Paul would have been like, yeah, let me get on that album. Let me produce the fuck out of you. <laughs> and yeah, let's change this and let's rewrite it and we're going to change this and then I'll do this. And I think this one's too sad, George. We should actually just write an entirely different song and I'll write it for you. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I feel like McCarris is so fun that way because like you almost the need to rewrite it so much to be like, what if Paul was nice to George? Like, can you imagine? What if Paul... <laughs> Paul actually was mature. <laughs> what if Paul was mature? If- <laughs> Let's think about that. A whole nother universe. What if he could show people that he loves them? And <laughs> what if he can say it instead of showing it? Oh. Anyway. But so true. Elle's story, highly recommended. I just got to 2001, so I was very emotional. Ooh. Thanks, Elle, Ooh. for the pain. All right, Elle. I'm going to get there, Elle. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. <laughs> All right. Is that, are we done? <laughs> I think, I think so. <laughs> I'm calling it a night. Thanks for listening to Apple Scruffs. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram to let us know your thoughts and what topics you'd like us to talk about. Thanks. See you next time.